This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to those of you who are listening for the first time. Today's episode is really, it's a, it's a request uh, or fulfillment of a request. I should say someone wanted to hear about some of the stories of, of things that I've experienced over the course of my career. Now, the person, this happened during the UX chit chat hour, which we are celebrating the two-year anniversary of that event uh, this month, later on this month, the last Thursday of this month. If you've never been out to that and would like to engage with UX professionals from around the world, just standard coffeehouse style discussion about some of any and everything, feel free to come on out. Uh, You can connect with me on LinkedIn to try to get the information on that or just go to LinkedIn and do a search on UX Chit Chat Hour or the, the hashtag UX Chit Chat, and you are likely to find that information. But someone asked me to talk about, specifically, about nightmares. (laughs) Someone wants to hear about crazy stuff that has happened to me, and some people find that kind of stuff a little discouraging. Some people don't want to hear that, but for the record, a lot of people actually find those stories enriching, enlightening. A lot of people find those stories to be the type of thing that that helps to make them aware of what's happening in the world of UX and and help them prepare to get ready for such things. So so those types of stories are not the Debbie Downer that some people think them to be. I I had a conversation with someone recently and I was talking about how Uh, how that's sort of my frame of mind as well. That's how I equip myself. Any information should be actionable. There should be something that we can do based on whatever we hear. We don't have to hear actual directions in order to do something. Now that's, we're talking about operating at a pinnacle level of critical thinking, but you just hear information, you will find out what to do based on what you heard. That is something that's critical that that we need to embrace today. I decided that I wasn't just going to talk about the nightmares. We'll save that for next week. <laughs> but, but tonight, I just want to share a few success stories. So we're going to refer to this as a memory lane episode. We want to just talk about the types of things that, that have happened over the years that a lot of times, especially when you do experience a lot of the more challenging things, taking the time to think about your successes are great. I mean, people hear about the successes and that's encouraging. People hear about the successes and and, and they, they get excited and they realize that they have access to the same types of experiences. These things are great. One of the reasons that I'm gonna talk about successes today 
and nightmares next week is I want to present a balance because we never want to feed the monster that is toxic positivity. We never want to be in the state of mind where we're going to see the good in everything no matter what, but then fail to have that realist type of a a mindset, which is really the healthier way to approach things. You don't want to be somebody who's cynical, but you don't want to be someone who ignores the things that are challenges for us because we are going to need strategies to help work around those things that, that are issues. So today, again, I'm going to share five success stories that I remember from my past over the course of my career. And one of them is not, you might not think of it as a, as a stereotypical UX type of, a, of engagement, but it was more of a, an LX type of thing. But I see it as a UX type of thing because when you think about doing design work, when you think about doing UX, folks, by trade, we are problem solvers. We become aware of a situation. We digest it. We may do a little research. At the end of the day, we try to come up with a solution so that we can resolve any issues associated with that discovery that we made or that business need that we were made aware of. So, so yes, we are problem solvers. So we don't, we don't cower when we come in contact with a, with an issue, we, we batten down the hatches and and we go for it. We're going to do whatever we can to make that situation work. Now, the realist side is where we need to have that in our toolbox, because what if there is no solution? Well, if there's no solution, then we need to face that as well. And we need to be ready to report out on that. But very critical that we that we understand that we are problem solvers. That is what we do. And we solve it in a way that other people are not really equipped to do so because that just simply is the way that UX folks are wired. That's simply what our toolbox affords us to do. So let's go ahead and dive in. Story number one, and and I'm not going to tell you the names of these companies. I am simply going to provide you with the stories at hand. If you figure it out, you figure it out on your own, but I'm not going to give you the names of any of these companies that I'm going to be sharing these things with. What's important is that we achieved something. What's important was that we came out on top. And so that, that's what we want everybody under the sound of my voice to, to be able to relate to here today. So I was working at a company where interesting thing is I almost was almost describing it the way that I was just, what I was just saying about how you come, you come into the knowledge of a problem and you just, you have a solution and you just go for it. It is such a, a wonderful state of mind to be ready to solve problems. And I've been like this for a very long time where I was the, the problem, the solution guy. And I happened to be basically just coming back from the restroom, literally had gone to the restroom, was on my way back to my seat. And I overheard a conversation and in the conversation, the people were talking about how they were trying to open up a call center outside of the United States 
They had rented the space. They already signed the contract. They had already interviewed and hired all of the people. It was about time to start training these people, and they were informed by the country where this call center was was going to be opening, they were informed that they were not going to be allowed to deliver a critical piece of equipment that was the, it was the central point of all the work that was going to be done. And, and so now they've got a signed contract, they've hired all the people, they're set and ready to rock, and they're going to ship a vehicle down to this country to be on site so the people could learn how to operate the system based on having that vehicle present. Now, I just happened to overhear all of that. And in overhearing it, this doesn't always happen. Sometimes we have to vet things out a little bit more. We have to do a little bit more investigating, a little bit more analysis. But I got a solution before I took another step. I had a solution. I knew who the people were. I worked with the people. And I just simply went over, asked if I could join them in their conversation, let them know that I overheard what they were saying, and I let them know that I had a solution for their problem. I proposed a course, and it was going to be a, an electronically delivered course. Uh, I was going to record it, rather, and they were going to be able to deliver it over and over and over again. It was something that was going to be easily repeatable. But the course would orient people to the company. It would help them to understand what the company did. It would help them to understand things that were associated with the product, how the product worked, what the business mindset was behind the product. What, what needs were we meeting for our user base? Had, that was a main part, the introductory part of this particular solution that I was talking about rolling out. The key, long story short, was that while they couldn't have the vehicle that was going to allow people to become trained, I designed hands-on experiences that allowed people to be able to learn how to utilize the system that they needed the car to do. I designed a simulation. This is back in the days of Macromedia Flash. And I, I used to do all kinds of wonderful things with Flash that were, that were off the beaten path. But this was one of them. I told them about the idea, told them about what I proposed. They loved the idea of it. And I spoke in their language, by the way. I didn't speak in terms. I didn't talk about Macromedia Flash. I didn't tell them what I was going to do from a programming perspective or from a design perspective. I just talked about what the solution was going to be from a business language perspective. They absolutely loved it. They told me to go ahead and get to work on it. The solution was designed, tested. Yes, I did conduct usability tests for the, for the solution, and it was rolled out. Not only did they, were they able to train everybody, but the facility was open on time, under budget, and they no longer had to ship this vehicle down there. And it was going to cost a pretty penny to ship that vehicle. So we saved a lot of money. 
And this was roughly about 2003, 2004. And I just learned, I was having a conversation with somebody about three years ago, just before the pandemic started. I was having a conversation with somebody who actually had firsthand knowledge of that system (laughs) that I had designed. And they let me know that they were still using it. And and I found out also later that they sunset it um, um, not not too long ago. Matter of fact, just before the pandemic started. So I I found out about this and then the pandemic happened. They somewhere around that time, they stopped using it. My point is not only did it allow them to open up their first offshore call center, not only were they able to take care of the issue associated with having hired all these people and wanting to be able to train them and to train them on how to use the system in the vehicle. But they used it for somewhere in the vicinity of 15, 16 years at least. And and that is a huge win. I never would have thought that they would have continued to use that for that long. I thought it was going to be a short-term solution, but that was a huge victory. I was excited about that. They were excited about that. And it was just a really huge and wonderful win during my career. So just wanted to, to share that story. And, and I, I think it's important for us to, to have a, a state of mind where we always want to help. We, we should always want to drive things forward. And it just so happened that of all the people that were working in that location and working for that company at the time, there weren't any other people who knew Macromedia Flash. I happened to be an instructional designer. I knew how to best execute that. I had actually run orientation projects at companies in the past. It's wonderful how you can tap into your past and it can be used to help provide solutions and vault something forward. So never forget about your past, never discount your past because you never know when it's going to come in handy. But the willingness to help, the willingness to drive things forward, the willingness, that's that team player thing. Was it part of my job description? No, it wasn't. It just so happened to be something that I was able to do and I was happy to be able to do it. So very happy about what I did for that particular project. In this next project, there was a company that I went to that I built the UX practice for a particular division in a company from the ground up. I was brought in. I was the first UX person in their United States location for this particular company. And, and it was, it was uh, pretty daunting from a perspective of the lifts in that particular company to be able to do everything I needed to do. The best boss I ever had in my career uh, was the boss I had at this particular company. And I, I always have to give him a shout out because I would not have achieved what I achieved without his help. He knew the company inside and out. He knew where all the pitfalls were. And he ran interference for me to make sure that those things did not get in my way. I, I cannot stress. I know I just talked about this recently, but I cannot stress the importance of having a good boss. And, and they are in short supply. Today, when you can find a good boss, when somebody dangles a carrot in front of you and tries to get you to leave, 
remember, you're not just leaving the company, you're leaving that wonderful boss you have. So make sure you keep things like that in mind when you're you're considering leaving. But at any rate, uh, had a great deal of success establishing that practice, getting the ear of the C-suite people. Uh, There were a lot of engineers in this company to have them pay attention to and value what I was bringing to the table was really refreshing. It was a wonderful thing to experience. The But the, the part of the story I wanted to share, and I may have talked about this on another episode before, there was um, a project that someone had heard about all the things that I was doing at the company, and they wanted me to come in and help them overhaul their customer service approach. Now, one of the things I want to call out about the, this particular story, I was about to say the success of the story, we're getting there, is that there are so many stereotypes associated with UX. And I mean, a lot of people today, they only see UX as applying to some type of a digital solution or some type of a digital engagement. And some of you, under the sound of my voice, you think that everything that we do is digital. Folks, what we now do in, in, in UX is only predominantly digital or has been predominantly digital because of how UX-related deliverables, methods, methodologies, and such took center stage because of the internet. There were things associated with what we now call UX that were already in place prior to the advent of the internet. And there are a lot, there are a lot of things that we can still do today. And, and the types of things that we're getting engaged in from a UX perspective are starting to change and is starting to span outside of the digital world, which is is gonna really take a lot of people for a loop because if everything that you do is digital in nature, what happens when you get involved in something that's more human factors related? And 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 someone would have had a very difficult time doing what, what I was brought in to do on this particular project. As a matter of fact, I interviewed for a job once and one of the things that I brought in to share especially because I thought that it was going to help me to show them that I was a team player was to talk about this project because we're talking about trying to revise customer service processes, solutions, the way that they were handling customer service for the, for the products they were selling. They knew that there were issues and they knew that UX could come in and help them make this thing right. I, I, I shared this project in an interview once, and one of the people in the interview just laughed at me. Email, <laughs> and he just laughed. And I had been working on uh, email when I was doing work for Ford years ago. I'll mention that company, since that's not part of what we're doing here. But I used to handle the, the user experience for the email marketing for Ford Motor Company. And some people would have thought that that was just terrible. What in the world can you do with that? Well, there's a there's a user experience to emails, isn't there? And it's amazing that people forget about stuff like that. But at any rate, person wanted me to come in, help out their team. They wanted to revisit, analyze, look and see what they could do to make the, the customer experience better, the CX. And this was about the time that I had, start, I had already started to do UX from a CX perspective, so I was excited. And, and extremely willing to help out with this problem that they had. So 
I, I agreed to help them on the project. However, I let them know. I said, I don't want to. He wanted me to just come into town and talk to his team and then get some solutions together and let them know what they needed to do to make things better. And I pushed back a little bit. I said, you know what? I know that it's important to establish relationships. If I just come into town and then start what they're going to see as barking, then they're going to think that I'm just coming and telling them what to do. They're not going to receive me. We're not going to have the support structure that we need to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. And said, let, let me meet the team first. Let, let's have a conference call. Let's get together and talk. And then I'll come to town and we'll take care of everything then. And he agreed. We got together to do the conference call. <laughs> and everybody on his team took uh, some time to introduce themselves to talk about what position they were in, to share some of their thoughts, and we moved on to the next person. By the time we got to the last person, that's when the big surprise came, and it's interesting that it happened to be the last person. Of course, it's the last person who went to introduce themselves, and they were hostile. We don't need you. Why are you here? We've always done it this way. The person just lit into me and and just... No holds barred, no mercy, no nothing. He he just ripped into me like this is a complete waste of time and we don't need to be doing this. When he was done with his tirade, and it was a tirade, when he was done with his tirade, I thanked him for his honesty. I, I told him I appreciated his passion. And I said, I want you to promise me you're going to do one thing. What is that? I want you to promise me that you're going to maintain that same level of honesty with me. And I told him that I believe that when you see what I can do to help your team, I think you're going to become my, my biggest supporter. Okay. So that was it. He was still, I mean, he didn't show that he was ready to cooperate or that he had been won over yet, but I went to town. I spent a few days with them. We spent time analyzing everything that they had done, everything they were doing. And I said, okay, uh, I've got all the information I need. I will get back in touch with you next week, and I will we'll connect via conference call next time. I won't come back to town. We'll just connect via conference call for the next phase, and I'll walk you through my recommendations and see what feedback your team has. When I came back, connected with them, I should say, and we talked about the solutions. I walked them through everything, how I reduced the numbers of emails from eight to five, how I reduced the length of the emails to make it easier for the people to digest it within one screen, how I added cross-selling opportunities to the emails, things that the users wanted to see so that something that would help them and support them and be reflective of their mental models something that made everybody's job easier, something that was more relevant and brought more value to everybody. We just made everything, everything they did was simpler when I was done. And that same person who wanted nothing to do with me was basically doing the equivalent of backflips. And yes, it happened exactly as I said, he became my biggest supporter and, and, uh, and we became very, very well connected after that, and we had a uh, huge success. They experienced a great deal of success. Our relationship was, was, was fantastic. It was very healthy, and 
another win, another win for UX folks. It's important to be willing to help. It's important not to limit what we can do as UX professionals to that which is digital. It's important to be patient. It's important to let people express when they're frustrated. It's important to be able to let them tell you how they feel. It may not even feel good, but it's needed. And and, and it's really important to allow people to be themselves, as people like to say today, allowing people to be their own genuine selves and, and, and respect that, whatever that might be, and then just move forward as a group. And we were able to collaborate successfully and drive success for everybody. Nobody was hurt. No animals were harmed in the making of this film, so to speak. And things worked out really, really well. So I can't encourage folks to do that enough. That's where that emotional intelligence comes into play, and it's really critical for the work that we're doing. In success story number three, there was a company that I worked for where I was brought in to be a senior. They didn't have a true senior. They didn't have a senior at all. They had people who thought it'd be a good idea to start a UX team and leadership got behind them, allowed them to set up a UX team. But everybody that was on the team was basically a retrofit. Nobody had any any prior UX experience, no prior professional experience doing actual user experience work. And let me pause for the cause there. I know folks who listen to this show regularly, you hear me talk about posers, retrofits, and upstarts. But if you remember, just because somebody's a retrofit doesn't mean that's a bad thing. It's just happens to be a matter of fact. These were people who had other positions and they slid into UX roles, including the person who was a team lead. But they recognized the need of being able to bring in a senior. Well, they brought me in. We had the interviews. Everything went well. I was happy and always welcome to take on the task of trying to build a team and and, and take them to another level and help solidify and stabilize things. Because in, in a state like that, it, it's pretty rough for everybody. And they knew they needed help. And, and I'm thankful that they were honest about that. I went to work on a project with a team once. And I really can't say much to my surprise. I started to say that, but it really, when I think about it, it wasn't much of a surprise. There were several people on that particular project team that were not really happy with the UX team. And this is one of the things that happens when you don't have a senior on your team. And when you have people that are, they're doing their best, they're doing what they know how to do. We get it. And, and we're not faulting anybody or anything like that. But what happens when, and it happened to me when I was younger in UX, when you don't understand that healthy friction as a part of operating as a UX professional, when you don't have the EQ components in place to, again, to let somebody be their authentic self, when you're not comfortable letting people shoot down your designs and then being ready to, okay, I'm glad you shared that with me. I'm glad you feel that way. Let me walk through this with you and show you why we made these recommendations. It, it, you have to mature in, in user experience to get to the point where you're willing to do that and just let somebody rip you to shreds and not take it personally. Um, this particular project team had a lot of interactions with the UX team and they didn't have any of those things in place that I just mentioned. So there was a lot of hostility. There was a lot of animosity. There was a lot of unrest. 
There was a lack of trust. And so I came in to work on a project with this team, and there was one person on that team that I had developed a really fantastic relationship with. He knew what I knew. He knew what I brought to the table. He saw my work. He was, we had worked on projects together and, and he just absolutely loved what I was doing and what I was helping others accomplish. And, and so he happened to be on this particular team. When he mentioned that UX was going to get involved in their project, there were several people that, oh God, you know, standard lurch noise for all you Adams family uh, folks out there. They just, they were, I don't do a good lurch, admittedly, but they were really upset about UX getting involved, but they deferred to him and they let him go ahead and bring me into the project. I come into the conference room. I sit down. I know the first thing that has to be done. I, I knew that the team was as a, as a whole was not very receptive of the UX team and that they had had a lot of really bad interactions with the UX team in the past. So going back to my, my toolbox, let's build relationships, relationships first work second in this particular case, or, or there's not going to be any work or if there is, uh, I'm not going to be there. So we went ahead, we established some, some uh, lines of communication. We got a good understanding of what they were trying to do. I understood who the most, uh, I'll use the word again, hostile folks there were on the team. I made it a point to reach out to them and try to establish those lines of communication, stronger lines of communication with them and try to demonstrate that I'm here to partner with you. I'm here to bring you value. I'm not here to dictate to you. I'm, not, I'm here to listen to you. With all of these things that really are more on the soft skill side, these became more more prominent within our engagement. And, and I knew that these things were gonna be critically important, or again, I wasn't gonna be working on the project. Uh, UX was gonna get evicted. I sat, I listened to them. I, I understood what their needs were. I understood what problems they were trying to solve. And the first thing that I did on that particular project was, uh, it was a small project, but let me take a look at, at your design, I see everything you're trying to do. They had already tried to start designing it. And, and that's actually how I got brought in because we don't, we shouldn't design this. We're not going to get it right. Let's bring in UX. They let me look, I let them or asked them to walk me through their, their design. They walked me through the design. I said, okay, just like I did with the folks <laughs> uh, at that one company where I went back, looked at everything and got back with them. I, I convinced them to give me a couple of days. I was working on some other projects as well. Give me a couple of days to go and perform a heuristic analysis. I'll come back and share these with you. And so I did the heuristic analysis. Two days later, we get together again. And But in the heuristic analysis where I talked about my findings, I talked about the recommendations, I talked about the benefits if they if they embrace these recommendations, if they apply these recommendations, but I also showed them, and if you follow my recommendations, this is what the design would look like. So I, I, I took things a step further, and I actually, using, I used UX Pen. That was my big tool at the time. I still love, shout out to UX Pen. I still love UX Pen. I designed, showed them what the design would look like. I showed them how it would behave. 
everybody, including the folks that wanted nothing to do with UX, were doing backflips, and the anxiety that existed previously had been completely dispelled, at least to the point where it wasn't visible. Uh, I never witnessed anything like that again. I never heard anything about that again. Matter of fact, the people who were the most resistant to UX, uh, with the exception of the person I had worked on projects with previously, uh, those people were, we were joined at the hip from that time forward. So I count, I chalked that up as a huge win. They didn't see me being overly rigid like, like the previous people. They didn't see me being resistant to ideas. I built upon their idea and just showed them through the heuristic analysis. I actually valued the design work that they did, but I also showed them if you roll this out, here's the risk associated with that. And yes, UX folks, we are in the business of risk mitigation. So we want to make sure that we we do a risk analysis, understand what will go on. If you if you do this in your design, here are the risks from an interaction design perspective. Here are the risks from a heuristic perspective. Here are the risks uh, when it comes down to uh, issues A, B, C, D, and E. They embrace all of those things. So a situation that was previously very volatile has now been overcome. So we're really, really happy about that. So that was success story number three. And you know, as I wrap up that particular success story, I think I'm going to expand this a little bit and we're going to stop at three. How about three? Just three success stories today. I'm not going to share the other ones. We'll share three more success stories with you next week and then we'll get into the nightmares after that. How about that? So we're going to make this one short today. So again, thanks for taking the time to listen to the world of UX with Darren Hood today. Always happy to share. Always happy to be here to encourage, to enlighten, to educate, to build people up, to encourage folks and help people to be ready to go forward. Be ready to represent UX for what it truly brings to the table. Be ready to drive value for everything that you do. Don't allow the the, the hardships that come up and there are hardships, there are potholes, there are pitfalls, there are rough times in UX, but just get up, dust yourself off and, and get right back to it and be determined to bring value for your team, for your users, for your business, for your stakeholders. And, and, and then we get that intrinsic satisfaction out of the work that we do to helps us to drive things forward. How about that? Okay. So, that's all the time we have for today. It is time to sign off. So this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX. Until next time, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.